This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with the Jewish Journal. Check them out at jewishjournal.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit 2njb.com slash donate. Let's say you're a 16-year-old Israeli teenager who likes computers and knows how to write some code. The day comes when you get a very important envelope in the mail. Not email, but your actual mailbox. This is called Tzav Shmone, draft notice number eight, and it'll determine your fate for the next five to 20 years. Now, assuming you're a 16-year-old computer geek, you know exactly where you want to end up in the IDF, the 8200 unit, Shmone Matayim. 8200 is a secret-ish unit in the IDF's intelligence division. Its main purpose is to conduct telecommunication reconnaissance, aka SIGINT, or signal intelligence. In recent years, 8200 has made a name for itself as the breeding grounds for some of Israel's leading entrepreneurs. A lot of people think of it as a ticket to success in life. And indeed, many of its alumni are snatched up by high-tech companies and startups right out of the gate. But having been trained by the IDF in such confidential techniques, these veterans face a serious dilemma. Where do you draw the line between personal advancement and treasonous activity? Today, we're joined for the second time by Dr. Ronen Bergman, who recently published a series of articles in Yediota Choronot about veterans of the 8200 unit working for shady companies, sometimes even working for ones that are engaged in hostile activity against the state of Israel. Dr. Ronen Bergman is a senior political and military analyst for Yediota Chonot and the New York Times. He's the author of Rise and Kill First, as you can see here, the Rise and Kill First, The Secret History of Israel's Targeted Assassinations, which has recently been sold to HBO uh, for development as a TV series. He's been a guest lecturer at countless universities, including Princeton, Yale, Oxford, and Cambridge where he received his PhD in history. We are super thrilled to be joined by you today. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks again. Uh, welcome again to my house. Thank Pleasure you. to have you here. Before we get started, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at the International Robotics Camp for Girls 2020 in Germany. Over the period of a week or two in Germany, your kids will have the opportunity to explore the sciences and do some incredible, incredible stuff. So if you have a girl who's dreamed about designing her own rocket or building a moon rover, you've got to check out this camp. Visit www.robotics-institute.com. That's robotics-institute.com. The camp started in 2018, and it's taking place at the Hamburg University of Technology in Germany in the summer of 2020. And this year, they're coming to Tel Aviv. That's right, actually this month on December 17th to showcase the amazing program they have planned. So you can meet Alexis, the founder, and Noah, one of the Israeli girls who participated in the camp. So again, check them out at www.robotics-institute.com. That's www.robotics-institute.com. So we, ha- we had you on in uh, episode 87. Uh, it was called... What's the count now? Now we're on like 160... 168. Oh. So it was, yeah. it was okay. like, I think almost, almost a year and a half ago. Right. Yep. Uh, the episode was called Mossad Killer Be Killed. So check it out, guys. 
Um, and since then, HBO. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, we were, when the book came out, um, January 2018, we were a little bit concerned. Uh, you know, when someone in an interview say he was a little bit concerned, it means that he was very panicked. Much <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, the book, Rises and Kill First, uh, doesn't have um, anything that topped American agenda and public interest at that time. Nothing about Trump, nothing about sexual harassment, and nothing about Me Too. And there was a question whether this is going to be, you know, interesting for the American audience. And, and you know, we were so much happy to the warm um, embrace and the great reviews and the sales you know it's a um, new york times bestseller translations um, and so. the yeah and it has been or will be translated or sold to translation for 25 languages um and it's just you know remarkable and uh, maybe above all the man that i always in my dreams fantasized uh, my admired author uh, david cornwell john le Carre, um, uh, published a very warm blurb for the book. And, um, you know, I couldn't be happier. And HBO, who, um, you know, together with... Get K you closer to yes, the mic. Sure. So, and HBO, together with KI, Cashers International, are in development uh, of chapters. You know, it's a big book. It's 110 of uh, years of secret history, so you cannot do all of it but are developing a, a dramatic scripted series that is based on some chapters of the book. I'm not allowed to say which ones, um, but hopefully soon some of the episodes um, of the book are going to be dramatized and uh, aired by HBO. Any uh, preferable actor to play head of Mossad? I don't know. Ben Kingsley or something. Yeah, well, I think Mel, that Ben Mel Gibson. Yeah, <laughs> ben, ben Kingsley has been the, the uh, you know, in has been. Um, um, he's the go-to uh, guy. Yeah, he, is, he, is, he has been acting as all the different layers, ranks, um, <laughs> occupation, expertise of Mossad ever. So maybe we'll we'll look for someone else. Um, by the way, the the current chief of Mossad, Yossi Cohen, he looks like the chief of Mossad. He he is one of these characters who can actually play themselves. Right. Because um, he looks like the, the the Jewish James Bond. Yeah. Wonder what his acting skills are like. Probably you pretty be a good. good actor to be in the Mossad, I you guess. You know, he was one of the best case officers ever in the Mossad. When What's a case officer? His case officer is the guy who um, recruit and run, runs agents. Mm -hmm. The Mossad does that by, and by the way, and you know, we talk about assassination and heist at the heart of Tehran and stealing documents and sabotage. But at the end of the day, the one thing that Mossad does most than anything else is turning people, making people betray their country, their organization, their comrades, their superiors, their subordinates, betraying everything they vowed to keep secret. And the Mossad does that by employing two tactics at the same time. One, sending expert to the human soul, someone who will be, who would understand the target and be half his brother and half his psychologist and half his lover and whatever, other halves, and at the end of the day find the code to open the safe, which is, you know, the, the mind, the brain of that purpose. But he will do that by employing the other tactics, which is to be someone else, everyone but a Mossad case officer. Because 
you know, it turns out if you come to a Syrian general and you tell him, I am from the Mossad, will you spy for me? Uh, the chances that he will say yes, even for money, are not very big. But if you are, let's say, a French businessman who coincidentally finds or meets in Paris that uh, Syrian general and says to him, I am representing a French company that is just about to submit a bid in Damascus. Could you help us in one little detail? We will pay you for your consultancy very generously. Then you start a very slow process of establishing contact while deteriorating the agent slowly. So even in a certain point, he realizes that he's not working for a French company, but for Israeli intelligence. It's just far too late. And Yossi Cohen is one of the best. AKA ever. the model. The model. Which is, by the way, a nickname that I invented for oh, Cohen really? because it was forbidden to say his name and it was even forbidden to use his code name. His code name was oh. Kalan. Kalan is one of the, the detective in a, in a thrilling a thriller um, uh, TV series. But so I, I was looking for another, and you know, Cohen was um, known for his great appearance and the way that he dresses. He was the first one in Mossad ever using cufflinks. Um, <laughs> So were they lethal? So well, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I, I mean, everybody knows now. There's also a series on uh, Netflix about the Ellie Cohen, and there's you know you're discussing Ben Kingsley, and there's a bunch of what, what do you think you know causes this like hunger for Israeli espionage content in America? Well, few few things, and um, um, one of them is the great appetite in Hollywood today for content. You know all these companies launching the streamers. Um, so Netflix, Disney, Apple, soon HBO, they need content to fill mm -hmm. this huge vacuum that they created when you know they need to supply content. That's one. Second, turns out that a lot of people like to see content based on true stories, or at least inspired by. Third, a lot of Israelis made it in Hollywood. And fourth, you know, there is nothing Israel is more... Um, famous in than the Mossad. This is, you know, probably the most iconic uh, symbol of of uh, of Israel. A a you know a sort of a combination between lethality, efficiency, and thinking out of the box. And and people like you know I'm 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 giving lectures, speaking engagement all over the world, and I can speak about the Daesh, ISIS, or Al Qaeda, or the Palestinian-Israeli dispute, or the Middle East. But every time I start speaking about the Mossad you immediately see people's eyes blink, shine, because they want to hear what's the, you know, the real story. How is James, the Jewish James Bond, the real stuff? Everybody likes to hear about that. Yeah. So Josh all these Blumenthal. stories and more. <laughs> Sorry? Josh Blumenthal. Then we need to make like an Israeli, like a Jewish a James, James Bond. James Bond yeah. <laughs> all these stories and more in this book. Uh, and it's on Amazon, right? On Kindle. Right. Or we have to mention it's been translated. You're saying it's going to be translated. No, no. Part of the translation were already translated, were already published. Some of them are under Italian translation. Italian here, Spanish, German, yeah. I saw, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Rise and Kill First by Renan Bergman. We'll put links. And also, if you're interested, listen to episode 87. Seven Is it on the uh, Amazon? Is it there yeah, a digital Amazon, version? Yeah, Amazon in all different versions. So you have the Kindle, you have the... Uh, hardcover, softbound, and the audio, which is, you know, we have been working 
with the director and the actor who is actually narrating that to get the actual and the precise pronunciation of all the words, mm. names, ah, so places oh, there's in an Arabic. And, yeah, there's an audio book. And people, you know, a lot of people surprisingly tell me that they, they listen to that uh, with audio in their, you know, their way to work, etc. It's a big book, but they say it's very interesting. Interesting question. Is it ever going to be translated to Arabic? We got a very generous offer from a publisher in the Gulf and a lot of money and um but I, dark I, matter so, no no no, no. <laughs> it was, you know, one, from the same area right. the geographic area but we um when the the agent in london sent me the contracts he said you're not going to sign it in spite of the the number and then when i read of course i realized that what he said is that he reserved the publisher reserved himself the right to edit the book. And uh. when, the, and when the, uh, the, the, the agent asked him, like, edit like what? He said, well, you know, you, it's in Arabic. We cannot say about Palestinians that they are terrorists. Right. We, it's only freedom fighters or others. It's only the Israelis who are terrorists. So, you know, we left the money to him and okay. we are looking for a more professional Arabic publisher. Hopefully it will be published. So... Let's talk about eight to, uh, 200, but you mm -hmm. know what? It, everything is intertwined, right? Right. The, it's, everything is connected. Uh, the Mossad works with the intelligence of the IDF sure. all the time. Yeah. And the techniques somewhat, sometimes get mixed with each other. So what is A200? Um, A200 is the um, Israeli National SIGINT unit. By the NSA, the National Security Agency, America... Uh, they call it INSU. They don't call it Unit 8200, just for simplicity. So the, the acronym in their internal uh, writing is INSU, so Israel National, uh, National SIGINT Unit. SIGINT, SIGINT is Signal Intelligence, right. which is basically the collection of intelligence through electronic means, through the electromagnetic realm. Now, this could be in traditional means of SIGINT, it could have been just listening to whatever wireless communication to a phone conversation. And of course, when much of what we do transformed to be part, like through the internet and in text and much less on voice or voice over IP, like I assume your, um, like WhatsApp your show, yeah, or, or WhatsApp, then much of what SIGIN contains was transformed into the internet or kibernetic space. Um, and Unit 8200 is the main unit at Israeli intel of Israeli intelligence. And by the way, it's the biggest unit of all, one single unit of all Israeli intelligence, all Israeli military, all Israeli defense establishment. This is the biggest unit of all. But we can't say it's, how many people. It's well, well, well above 10,000. It's bigger than the whole Mossad. It's bigger than the whole Shin Bet, the domestic uh, national oh. security agency. So it's huge um, because the capacity that they need in order to look into the signal um, traffic of the adversary. So the Arab countries, Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah is huge. And it's also, as you indicated, the mother of startup nation. Mm -hmm. By the way, if there's a mother, there needs to be a father as well. Uh, so the other parents, the, the spouse, 
is another unit, less known, but not less, or in many cases, not less important, and also extremely, with extremely profound impact on Startup Nation. It's called Unit 8-1. Now, there are other digits, 8-1 something, but I cannot say the other digits because it's classified. So right. we just call it Unit 8-1, which is the technology unit of the Military Intelligence Brigade. And these together... How, how, does that, how do they differentiate from 8200? So, so 8200 is in charge of acquiring, analyzing the... the um, or dealing with the actual data. The content. Content. 8.1 is more in charge of developing the technology mm. with which 8.200 would be able to deploy and collect the intelligence. Now, of course, they are overlapping, but let's say for the, uh, the simplicity and the sake of our discussion, that both units are training and producing, I would say, a world state expert on offensive cyber i would or people would claim that these two units are producing or making the best offense offensive cyber experts in the world which is also the reason why they are so wanted by anyone who is um you know in the private market who is uh, who is interested in developing Offensive cyber. So what, what's the, I think there, we need to define a few things because what's the difference between offensive and defensive cyber? Like they are viruses? They, say, they are just the same from the, the, the different direction. Mm -hmm. If you are dealing with defensive cyber then you are trying to, um, whatever the, the product is, is it the computer, is it the server, is it, you know, an electricity uh, station? Uh, a nuclear reactor, and you are trying to defend that product or that machine from any attempt, any malicious attempt, to hack into the, that, that, that machine and either collect intelligence from that or sabotage the functioning of, the, of this machine. Mm -hmm. And again, it can be your phone, but it can be the, the, the mainframe of, of a nuclear reactor, which could be um, problematic, as the Iranians... Uh, the Iranians learned. Now, every every country and Israel is extremely advanced on that. Has to have if if they want to you know be part of the cyber um, war world, they need to have both ends. They need to know, to know how to defend themselves while knowing how to strike the adversary. Mm -hmm. And they say you know we cannot say because Israel is tightened by military censorship, but they say, according to non-Israeli uh, publications, that Israel is excellent with both. Therefore, and, and, yeah. therefore, um, those who deal with defensive cyber are trying to find the, the, the right ways how to block any attempts to hack into the, the computer or phone or whatever. And those who are dealing with, with offensive cyber are trying to find the right way how to hack into a computer. Now, the right way is usually what is called zero days. Zero days are small malfunction in the operation system of whatever, you know, whatever the device is. And it's small hiccups in the programming of the code. That even the, Windows or Apple don't know about. That, that nobody knows. Because right. if they know, that's one of the amazing thing in, 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 this, in this world, that once Apple knows what's about the new zero day, 
they would immediately fix that, it. They will issue what's called a patch. They right. will issue a new patch for the iOS system that will immediately be deployed on all the iOS machines in the world. And there will, this, this vulnerability, as they call it, the zero days, would immediately be, be blocked. So the, the, the value of each zero day can be by millions. The darknet has brokers who are selling zero days in millions of dollars. Because if you have one zero day that was not yet exposed, let's say a zero day in WhatsApp, that means that all WhatsApps are vulnerable, are open, are transparent to your hacking tools. Right. And if the WhatsApp is vulnerable, then every computer that is connected, your phone or your, or your desktop, is also vulnerable. And there are two it's, kinds of such hacks. There is the one that requires an action from the end user, and the even more rare one is which doesn't require anything. So no, th th this, is, this, is, this goes to, to a, a, a one-click, zero-day, or mm -hmm. zero-click, zero-day, or vulnerability, mm -hmm. which basically say that they are in all times, old is like a year ago, something like <laughs> two years ago, yeah. everything is moving in, in, a, in a rapid pace in this world. So in, in one click, you received an email from someone you know, pretending to be your friend. And he says, oh, here is a great picture of you know, that model that I know that you like, and there's a link. And then you press it, and then the virus infiltrates your mainframe. Seamlessly. Seamlessly. Nowadays, and for example, the, one of the vulnerabilities that attacked WhatsApp, which is now is the, I would say the, the core of a legal sue by Facebook and WhatsApp against an Israeli company called NSO, which is a private Israeli hacking company, which they claim produced that vulnerability. WhatsApp had a vulnerability that, didn't know, didn't need any kind of of uh, of click. Uh, of click. Someone just allegedly called you, so you video had a call. missed yeah a video call. You had a missed call. That's it. They are there, all over you. It's crazy. That's amazing. So there must be a market for these zero days, as you were mentioning. But is there an attempt on the part of governments and organizations like Apple or the Israeli government to find these? To find these hackers and purchase it for outbid the 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 you know nefarious actors in the black right. So web. first, having a vulnerability doesn't yet mean that you are able to enter um, to hack into you. You there's there's a there's a gap. There's a much knowledge, and this is where the experts come to to play a major part. It's not just discovering the vulnerability, the zero days. It's also how to to take the, the, know, the knowledge of a vulnerability and turn that into a hacking tool. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 and it's not simple. Right. You need someone like veterans of 8200 who spent years in understanding these vulnerabilities and how to, perform, to transform them into hacking tools. These are the people who actually did that. And this is why they are needed. Now, of course, Apple or Facebook or others, they are all looking for these vulnerabilities. Part of the companies or the entities are looking to, uh, for the vulnerabilities in order to fix them. And part of them is in order to exploit them and go forward with, with developing the, these tools. But what I'm wondering is, does Apple or does the Israeli government try to seek out hackers, meaning people who find these vulnerabilities, and pay them to, to get it so that they can then shut it down? Well, if a government has a vulnerability, I'm not sure that it's in her interest to shut it down. Maybe it's in, in her interest to 
take it, transform it into a hacking tool and launch it against its adversaries, not shutting it down or inform Apple, look, you have that vulnerability in your system. Mm. Maybe App- Apple App- should outbid. Yeah. Yeah. Apple, of course, yeah. Um, um, uh, Google uh, is paying bounties mm-hmm. for, for vulnerabilities. Yeah. They're paying a lot of money for that, exactly right. for this purpose, in order to, to block vulnerabilities on, on, on Android. I want to get back to our example, the 16-year-old geek from the intro. So he got the letter. Um, he was recruited to A200. He served there. He got a lot of experience in these areas in, we talked about. In many about. cases, that computer geek is all, already in school uh-huh. taking classes that are financed and guided and uh-huh. uh, formed by A200. Meaning they are trying to at school, at 15... From the womb, they already... Yeah, from 40... <laughs> yeah, it, it will be. One day it will be from the womb. Yeah. But they, 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 they are trying to locate the best computer gigs, give them as much training and knowledge during school, so not waste their time during the military, uh-huh. and get them as ripe and as trained and as knowledgeable when they're 18 to be drafted directly into right. the, the, you know, the, 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 the main corridor leading to be... An offensive cyber expert. So eventually, it's like, the, it's like the nerdy version of Spartans. Basically, they groom <laughs> them from childhood. Right. Okay. So then he, this sixteen-year-old, he finishes his military service, mm-hmm. and he gets approached, most probably by either NSO. There are other several companies, yeah, right? Candiro uh, and others. It's not, it's not the only one. And what is the offer these companies make? So what's look, the I, deal? I, first of all looking from the point of view and the mindset of that computer geek when he is drafted, it's not that the idea that he will be recruited by a headhunter working for that company in Israel or the other one not in Israel pops in his head only when he finishes his obligatory military service plus usually two or three years that he signed for you know, professional service. This is something he has in, in his mind or his mother's mind when he's already 18, even less. Meaning the, the, the Jewish dream, the, 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 the Jewish mother dream of her son to become a physician or a lawyer is now completely different to someone that her kid will be drafted to 8200 and after five years in the military, he will either start his own startup and sell it for millions or go to work for many, many, many thousands of dollars for these companies, Mm -hmm. which also puts a great question mark into one of the solutions that were suggested in order to prevent these people from going to work for hostile entities or people outside of Israel. Because if you tell these computer geeks when they are 18, look, you're going to serve, you're going to be trained, you're going to become an offensive cyber expert, but know that after you finish your military service, you have some, some sort of like two or three years of time that you are forbidden from working in any of these companies, which is logical. You know, it's they, not, they, just to clarify, it's not the situation, right? No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's one of the hypothesis. solutions yeah. that were proposed by some of the people who are very much concerned from the, from the proliferation of military-grade cyber-offensive knowledge to countries without any control of the Israeli Ministry of Defense. Now, if you tell that to 
that computer gig when he's 18, he will probably not go to serve. Right. So it would lower the incentive, but I mean, you can say there are plenty of opportunities within Israel. I mean, you could say you can't serve for a, uh, I don't know, a company that, uh, you know, in a foreign country. Right. You know, only Israeli right. companies. Yeah. So first, uh, we must say that the, pre the companies working in Israel, mm -hmm. these need to be under a, a quite rigid, some would say too rigid, quite strict, some would say too strict, regulation. supervision and regulation of the Ministry of Defense. Mm -hmm. And so if they want to sell anything, this, these products are under Ministry of Defense approval. If they want to, to sell that, they need to start a very long process of licensing mm -hmm. these products. They, have, they need to be licensed as as an, a, someone who, who, is, who is permitted to export, but also when they want to sell to a specific country, they need to come back to the Ministry of Defense and say, we want to sell to that country. And it's not always approved. Mm -hmm. So um, on one hand, there is a, there is a regulation in, in, in that regime of supervision, but there is also a lot of criticism towards Israeli companies that under that regime, and with the approval of the Ministry of Defense, sold hacking products to countries that didn't just use them against pedophiles or, or children kidnappers or terrorists, terrorists yeah. or, or organized crime. They did, by the way, they, meaning much of, this pro of these products were used in order to lower the level of evil in the world. Because all of these proliferators and, and terrorists and suicide bombers and pedophiles and organized crime, they are using encrypted communication. And the only way to see what they are doing is to look into their phones. But in many cases, the countries that bought these, this system, like Mexico. the product uh, Pegasus of NSO, mm -hmm. use them not just against the real bad guys, but also against human rights activists and also against... Well, you know, they saw them as enemies, but we understand that this is wrong, that this should not be done. Now, when they buy the, the, they, they buy the product, they promise NSO and the Israeli Ministry of Defense that this will only be used against criminals. But, you know, their definition of what is a criminal. Yeah. And also, they, I, I understand they don't sell to countries. They somehow manage to sell the products. The, I mean, the product cannot be used against Israel in the United States. Right. Yeah, right, the, 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 yeah, the um, the the um, uh, the softwares, the systems programmed by Israeli companies should have um, a switch that cannot be or that does not allow the users to run them against Israeli or American numbers. Right, that's the red line. Yeah, for mm -hmm. these Israeli right. cyber companies. What look? There is a lot of criticism towards Israeli companies. Uh, Amnesty International, Citizen Lab in Canada, they all published numerous reports. Um, also in uh, Israel, there were huge them, debates. Yeah, and, it, and it's a debate. But what is not debatable, that once these cyber experts leave Israel and work for non-Israeli companies, then whatever you say about the supervision and the regime of, of inspection by the Israeli Ministry of Defense, mm -hmm. it's... Not there. Meaning, even if it's too weak, not rigid enough, not strict enough, not severe enough, it's nothing when they are outside of Israel. There's no regulation or no, oversight. No, nothing. And so, it goes completely out of your control to the extent that it could be directed against Israel. So let's talk about that. Because you, in, in this series of articles, you, you uh, 
you talk about, you know, soldiers and veterans of these units that have ended up in, you know, these countries, companies that are outside of the borders of Israel that are then... Mainly so you, company called Dark Matter. Yeah. yeah. So um, these series of um, articles, investigative reports by Itai Ilnai, a great uh, young journalist at Yediot Achonot and myself, um, shed light on this phenomenon of young veterans of 8-200 or 8-1, cyber, offensive cyber experts who are... Um, the target for headhunters who are saying to them, look, you can earn maybe 70 to 100,000 shekels in Israel yeah. a month working for Israeli company doing offensive cyber. But if you go abroad to where I, the headhunter, invite you, you will have a full relocation, a view to the sea, and up to $100,000 excluding bonuses. A month. A month. Now, imagine. I'm going. <laughs> Sign me up. I don't have any coding <laughs> skills, though. I'll learn. I'll learn anything. <laughs> so just imagine that guy. He's, he's, he's 23 years old, 25. Someone comes to him and says, listen, $100,000 a month. You know, these are excellent, extremely smart people, but not very mature. Uh, you know, they need to be very, very strong to say no. And some What's of them the didn't. catch? Look, from their point of view, there's no, almost no catch. They, uh, you know, they went to lawyers who gave them sort of legal opinion um, documents who says that they are no, doing nothing wrong. There is a legal vacuum here. There's a legal uh, sort of uh, black hole where in order to prosecute these people, bring them and charge them with using their military-grade offensive cyber knowledge, helping others, someone needs to actually prove that they use the same zero-days vulnerability that they used in the military. Now, probably they're not. Probably the zero-day vulnerability that they used in the military is already old and it's not right. relevant. But the expertise of being part of a machine producing hacking tools it's in their mind you cannot erase it and the ability to separate between what they got during the many many years in the military and again being part of the cradle the best place to be if you want to be uh, an expert in this field and make the separation between that and sort of civilian knowledge it's very, very hard. I mean, regardless of whether or not they're using the knowledge, just the their employment by a company that is that is being used by a foreign nation to possibly attack it seems a bit problematic. But you you uh, highlighted a story in one of the articles which was fascinating about employees how NSO kind of got wind of this, how employees were suddenly. Uh, you know, Dissipating. leaving when they had great conditions and they were like, where are these guys the going? The irony here is... Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so could you NSO, tell us about yeah. how they... So NSO suddenly... Um, Again, NSO is the Israeli cyber company. Yeah, producing um, cyber uh, tools uh, to hack phones. And, um, and NSO suddenly saw an interesting phenomena where good workers that everybody are satisfied with and are making good money are suddenly leaving with making all sorts of weird uh, excuses why they are leaving. And um, the owner of the company, so 
at that time, so a company called Francisco Partners, uh, a, an American company, thought this is weird and hired private detectives to follow these employees. And they followed them from here to there in Israel. And at a certain point, they went to the airport. So they followed them to the airport, aboard the airplane to Cyprus, where they met all of them and were taken to the offices of a company connected to dark matter. Dark matter is the commercial cyber wing of NASA. NASA is the United Arab Emirate equivalent to the NSA. Mm -hmm. What happened is that the UAE bought Pegasus of um, NSO. They used that many, many times for a lot of money. But it has few catches. First, they need to commit to NSO that they are not using it against human rights activists. Second, they cannot use it against Israeli or American numbers. Third, it's, it's a token-based system. So in, in addition to the many, many, many millions of dollars they paid NSO, each target, each hacking of each phone is additional payment. Third point, they said, why should we pay all these foreign companies? We have so much money. Let's develop our own cyber wing and expertise. So they opened NASA, which was to supply their own cyber needs, but also to sell cyber products and so to compete NSO. And they wanted the best experts. So they turned to the NSA and hired a lot of veterans of the NSA. Money is on, not an issue. For money them. is not an issue. And they brought them to Abu Dhabi to work. The Israelis have problems with getting into Abu Dhabi. There's, you know, there's, it's, it's still a, a difficulty to get an Israeli. So they opened a center in Cyprus and they recruited these former Israeli intelligence, some of them former NSO, who just resigned for a lot of money to work in one of, you know, company that is connected to them in order to develop vulnerabilities and hacking tools. But if Iran would open such a proxy private company and open in Cyprus a branch and would that would be treason I mean how 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 is it not treason well where first, is the red line yeah here? well as I said the law is the or the ability to 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 enforce the law is very limited so even if it was an Iranian company they could still work there well if it's an Iranian company then the Iranian company should have been this vowed of the ability to work in Cyprus because Cyprus is under the cyber inspecting, inspecting regime of the European Union. Hmm. And, so Russia. And, and like again, Iranian yeah. company in Russia. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm looking at in another uh, problem. If let's say that um, um, Dark Matter, which is a company belong to the UAE, that doesn't have diplomatic relations with Israel, but what complicates the whole thing is that they are running a very, very friendly secret relation with Israel. Mm -hmm. You know, and Israel doesn't want to quarrel with them because we have other interests of collaborating with them on other things. Right. Let's say against Iran. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, the whole thing is extremely complex and mixed with political consideration. But let's say that, ne that, that the dark matter would sell a cyber product to Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia would sell that to another company, and that company would, uh, or that country would sell it to Iran. Right. It gets completely out of your control. So, basically, it so seems weird. that the Israeli government says we're willing to pay this price because we have kind of relations under the table. We don't want to jeopardize those. But no, 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 no. It's it's 
it's not Israel is willing to pay because the case is not just about the UAE mm. and not about just about dark matter. We are talking about a phenomenon of either foreign companies who are hiring Israelis or hiring former Israelis generals who don't want to be under the inspecting regime of the of defense ministry and are moving abroad and opening their companies that are luring Israelis to go out. So you have, there are companies belong to Israelis and you, you, you know, you could say, well, Israelis, so they know the limit. I don't know what limit they know. Meaning they are building their companies overseas in order to avoid the inspection and the licensing and the, the scrutiny of the Ministry of Defense. Mm-hmm. God knows what will so they can, do with this knowledge. Can you give us a bottom line? Is it treason in your opinion? No, I don't think it's treason. I don't think that these people are, are, are treacherous in that kind. I think that they are nonchalant and that they give themselves explanations of why this is okay, why this is legal. I think that the question of legality, and I, I assume that most of them are falling under doing something legal, but I think that the legality is not the only thing that counts. And I think that 8200 maybe failed to educate these people, not just how to hack a computer, a mainframe, a nuclear reactor, or, or a phone, but also to educate that they are holding strategic tools. And these strategic tools should be preserved in Israeli hands only and be exported only when Israel allow it to be exported. I think that these people are looking the other way from the very dangerous possibilities that much of their knowledge, much of these strategic tools would be proliferated to other parts of the world and God knows what would happen. And now, now the circle is complete because once these people are in Cyprus, they're under the jurisdiction of the Mossad, I guess. Well, yeah, but <laughs> again, but, but they are Israelis and, and the Mossad doesn't usually deal with Israelis. And, and, and again, the, the, ministry, the Israeli Ministry of Defense received much of the material that was described in our stories before that. Uh-huh. And they did very little. They did very little because this whole thing is extremely so embarrassing. And very, very complex. Wow. That's, That's mind-blowing. It mind could be another TV series. Well, <laughs> yeah. maybe. Okay, so the book, again, is called, your book is called Rise and Kill First. And it's available everywhere, also in, in an audiobook form. So... You guys got to check it out and read it. Really, ASAP. it's incredible. It is. I mean, the stories in there are just unbelievable. Thank you. And Thank you. you are everywhere. You're on Facebook, Twitter, New York yep. Times. Yep. Yep. I'm we'll on, put links. And I'm spending it now because of all the things that you said. I'm spending like 30, 40% of my time in America, uh, 20% elsewhere, and the rest here in, in Israel. And you give lectures in America, so yes. if a community, a Jewish community mm-hmm. wants to have you, they can approach you, right? Yes, indeed. Okay. We're collaborating with the Jewish Journal. Yeah, jewishjournal.com, guys. They have great content, so check them out. jewishjournal.com. They have also podcasts, columns, and... And their Lutz Sheva. Mm-hmm. We're also published there, so check yeah. them out at israelnationalnews.com. They're also on Facebook at the Lutz Sheva. And we're, uh, we're also everywhere, guys. Uh, you know, you find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, YouTube and wherever we accept you get donations. Podcasts. So and please help us out. We donations to njb.com slash donate. And that is it. Thank you so much. Thank Great you. Again. Thank you. Really. Dr. Bergman. Thank you so much. Bye, I hope guys. to see you sooner than, than in a year time. Okay. Yes. And good luck with when the TV shows out. Okay. Let's, we'll do. Okay. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>